Well, let's pray to prepare our hearts for the message this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for these, the, this passage that we've been in over the past several weeks on Matthew chapter 6. And uh, God, for the challenges that we're receiving in it. Uh, Father, today we ask that you would challenge us again. We ask that you would, as we continue talking about fasting in the heart of religion, Lord, that you would really just challenge where we are out of alignment with you. We want to be in sync with who you are. Scripture says you created us in your image, and Father, we really want to honor that image. So help us, Lord. We need your help because we're not going to understand this and apply it unless the Holy Spirit intervenes in our hearts and gives us that power. So we pray that you would be present and that you would speak into our hearts and call us to repent and, the, and believe the gospel more deeply today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be, like I said, back in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew 6. And we're going to be in the same verses we were in last week, verses 16 through 18. And we'll close out this section on fasting today. So here is what the word says. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance, so they will be, be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who, who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the Lord's word. Can we just give God a praise for his word this morning? Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Um, we're grateful. So... Um, I just, I'll recap just a little bit what we talked about last week. I know uh, it's been a week, and um, I, even though I'm sure you were all riveted last week uh, and took incredible notes, that I also realized we probably forgot some things. So I'm just going to do a quick overview of what, what we touched on last week. We, uh, we were reminded that religion is supposed to be an active practice of dependence upon God. And so that's the heart of what fasting is. It's about practicing dependence upon God and taking our eyes off of self and putting our eyes onto him, right? So, um, so we, we said two things last week about fasting, that one, Christian fasting is worshipful. It's ultimately about God's glory. And, and remember how we talked about how there are other religions fast, other people in the world fast, some people fast just to lose weight, you know, um, but, but Christian fasting, what makes it Christian fasting is that the focus is on God, right? It's not on self-improvement, it's not on making ourselves better, it's not on weight loss, it's solely upon God. We want to learn what it means to be dependent upon God, and our hunger reminds us of our need for Him, right? That, that's, that's, we talked about that, it's worship, you, you can take a moment when you're fasting. I, I remember one of my favorite things to do, uh, I, I was 16 years old. I was being discipled by one of my pastors, and he had me read this book by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. If you've never read that book, it's excellent. Um, Foster's a Quaker, and I'm telling you, those Puritans, they know about fasting, you know. Um, but, uh, but he, the book is excellent, and, and when we went through that book, I was challenged to fast. And so we, but my practice was when I would go fast, and I, still to this day, I practice the same way. I would go find a place like during my lunchtime and I would just open up the word and I would just read and let the Lord feed me. And it, it, like some of my most powerful spiritual breakthroughs have happened in those times. But it, it only works when we're focused on him, when our fasting is worshipful. And that's part of what makes it Christian 
fasting. So we said we fast for God's glory and we fast because we love Jesus. And then the second thing we talked about last week was fasting. Christian fasting is joy-filled. So it's not this, this gloomy, oh, it's so painful. We are rejoicing in our suffering because it reminds us of what Christ suffered in our place, right? And he suffered with joy. We talked about how Christ went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. So when I approach a fast, I approach it, we approach it for the joy of identifying with Christ. So it's joy-filled. We, we, uh, we approach it that way because we know also that God teaches us in the midst of fasting the goodness and the joy of, of the Lord. Okay, so now we're going to get to the new stuff for this week. Uh, and before we jump into these, I want to mention, I have, uh, there are a few teachers and preachers that I have come to really appreciate. There, and there are quite a few, but there are three in particular that I, that I think of as just men that I just greatly respect, not just because they're great Bible teachers, but just because of the quality of their lives, Right? Um, and and these are not the, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are just three that come to my mind when I think of this. One is um, Dallas Willard. I don't know if y'all have encountered much of Dallas Willard, uh, but he was a professor, also wrote a lot. He was a philosophy professor who was sort of known as an expert on spiritual discipline because of the, because of the quality of his Christian life. Uh, another one is uh, John Piper, and, uh, you know, great teacher, but also just a man of God. Another one is Tim Keller. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning these guys is because all three of these men, none of them became well-known in the Christian world until they were in their 50s. And I find this to be really interesting because we live in this world today where everybody's trying to just get attention, build your brand, right? You got to get out there on social media. Like, I know people who literally have their own logo, and it's not even like their business's logo. It's like, hey, this is like, I... I, I I'm not kidding. I know people who have their own branded clothing that they only use for them. And I'm like, I just don't, I mean, like, I'm not, I get that some people's life. That's fine. Like, I'm like, you're not even a designer. I get, I get it if you're like Louis Vuitton and you wear your own stuff. You know, that's, I, I would too. That's kind of a, it's kind of a really cool flex. But I mean, um, but, but like this, this idea of I've got to be elevated. I've got to elevate myself. What I love about Tim Keller, what I love about John Piper, what I love about Dallas Willard is all three of those guys essentially were noticed because they of the quality of their lives. Not because they were great writers, not because they were incredibly intelligent, godly men, but th- which they all are. But like, they got famous because they were people of God and, it, and, and the, the quality of their life was so good and rare and their teaching was so quality that people saw something in them. They saw Jesus in them. And God elevates people like that, Right? God elevates people like that. So I, I personally, as a pastor, look up to pastors like that who weren't out there looking for fame and fortune. And God, God said, no, this is my guy. Check, check this out. Look, like, I want to be like that when I grow up. You know what I mean? I want to be somebody like that. So, so the reason I mention that is because Jesus has been so clear that, that our religion is not about putting our lives on display. It's not so people will look at you and say, wow, look how good that person is. Look how, look how man, that's a really good Christian over there. Look at, their, look at the quality of their life. I mean, that's good if people notice you. And, they, and the, the Bible says we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that people will take notice, right? But, but there's a difference between others noticing the quality of your life and you doing those things in order to get their recognition. You see what I'm saying? 
Christian fasting, this is the third thing. So the last, last two we talked about last week. The third thing is Christian fasting is private. It's private. Jesus said, when you fast, don't go looking like you're fasting. Can, can, I, can I just throw this tip out there? When you fast, probably don't go make a post about it on social media. Probably don't be like, hey, I'm going on a 10-day fast, you know. Woo! I'll tell you who you should call. Call, call your inner circle. Call, call the, the people in your discipleship group and say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm going on this fast. I need, I need prayer. Um, but you don't need to broadcast that out to the world because you know what happens when you start doing that is you, you, you start to live for the, recommend, or for the, for the recognition for doing a good deed. I'm going to say, I'm going to use some words today that are, I'm sorry, we just live in a really mixed up culture, and so sometimes you just have to use some words that may be kind of difficult for some people to hear, and um, and I want you to know that nothing I'm saying is out of judgment or anything like that. I just, I see some things, I want to point them out so that we can be in better alignment with who God is, okay? So here's the first thing, in a world obsessed with virtue signaling, Christ calls us to practice our faith quietly. Here's what I see almost every day. I see some, something put out there on social media, or, uh, well, it's usually on social media, but sometimes it's, you know, you're watching TV and you get a, a celebrity commercial and they're saying, hey, this is a really great thing we should all do. And I'm doing it and you should too, you know? And I don't know if they rhyme like that, but... Um, <laughs> But, but you get the idea. You get these messages that are being broadcast out. Hey, look, and, and, and here's what it amounts to. Hey, look how righteous I am in the world's eyes. Come be like me. Do what I do. In Jesus' day, there was a certain rule. And, and remember, we talked about that. He, this fasting was just the third part of what they believed was the three things that were three religious practices that helped them to stay right with God on a daily basis. And they weren't wrong. I mean, one of them was prayer. One of them was almsgiving or giving to the poor, more modern way of saying that. <laughs> and another one, the other one was fasting. And they believed you should do those things. And I would say you should do those things. And Jesus said you should. But on every one of those points, when Jesus talked about these, th- these things, he said do it quietly, not so people can see. He says, give to the poor, but make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Pray, but don't go out, go out on the corner with a megaphone and, and, and you, know, saying, you know, yelling your prayer out so everyone sees your prayer. Don't do that. Your, these religious things are for God. They're for Him. They're in worship of Him. Not so we can be noticed by other people. That's the theme that we have here, right? And I want to I want to point out that in Jesus' day, the ruling parties were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now we think of them as religious, but we need to understand those were actually the political parties of Jesus' day as well. They were religious because they were Jewish, and all of them were religious back then, you know. Um, but they those they were the ruling political parties, the Sanhedrin, the 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 ruling council in Jerusalem was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. 
And it actually is really similar in many ways to our country in the sense that we have Republicans and Democrats. And what I want to point out is just like in Jesus' day, you had these, these political parties who, they had some things right, and they also had some things really wrong. Uh, the Pharisees were very theologically, and they were good theologically. Like, I would have wanted to go to their seminary. They were orthodox, and yet there was no heart in their religion. So what Jesus basically was saying is, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites because you do all the stuff, but you don't love me. And I wonder how oftentimes Jesus would walk into our churches today and say the exact same thing. And again, I'm not saying that out of judgment. I want us to be asking the question, why am I here? Why do I do these things that I do? Because why? Because Jesus is calling us out on it. He says, don't do this stuff to get noticed. So virtue signaling, this whole idea of, of essentially putting our, our righteousness on display so others can see. And, and hopefully they'll, they'll fall in line too. Is a problem today, but it was a problem back then too. You see what I'm saying? We, the, the rulers today aren't necessarily religious like they were back then, but it's the same problem. Do you see the, the, what I'm saying here? Today we have a whole new law. We've replaced the biblical law with the law of secular humanism. But we have the same moralism present. It just looks different today. So back then the Pharisees were going around, oh, you know, you remember when Jesus and his disciples didn't fast and they said, hey, how come you and your disciples don't fast? But John's disciples and the Pharisees, we fast. And Jesus has this whole conversation. Hey, the bridegroom doesn't mourn or the, the friends of the bridegroom don't mourn while they're at the wedding with the bridegroom, right? While he's present. They're sad when he leaves, when he goes away. But right now, we party. You know, Jesus is like, we party right now because they're, they're with me. We're having a good time and we're going to eat grain on the Sabbath and we're going to do all this fun stuff because I'm here. It's celebration time. But the Pharisees wanted to apply their rule, their law to Jesus and his disciples. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. There was actually only one prescribed fast in the Old Covenant and it was the Day of Atonement fast. It's the only one. And the Pharisees had created a system where there were several more. See, they were adding on to God's law constantly. And they were saying to the people, now you have to conform in order to be righteous. Sound familiar? See, all I'm saying is that society never really changes. Just looks a little bit different. But the reality is if we're going after anything other than God's glory, we're, we're essentially just building our own version of the Tower of Babel. We're living for our own glory. And that's the problem in our culture just like it was back then. So today, instead of fasting publicly or shouting our prayers out loud, it's talking about our preferences or our bravery or whatever it might be. But do you see how it's the same thing? And... and and the thing is, even though we're believers, we're tempted to play in that space. So for, for many, the goal of righteous religious practice, whatever that might be, whether it's the religion of secular humanism, which is popular today, or Christianity, or whatever it is, for many, the goal of religious practice is to be seen. And there is no spiritual value in that sort of fasting or any other religious practice. If our aim is to be noticed by people, 
or to be seen as a holy person or a good member of the society or whatever it is, then we've already had our reward if we've been noticed. That's what Jesus is saying. Spiritual gain comes when we refuse to give in to the typical human temptation, such as being seen as righteous by other people, or being noticed by the culture, or being noticed by other Christians. What really matters to us as believers is to be righteous before God, not before people. But I think we need to be asking that question, what actually matters to me? I think everyone needs to ask that question. What really matters to me? Is my primary concern in my religious practice or in my day-to-day life to be noticed with the, by the Father, to be closer and more intimate with the Father, to worship Him? Or, it, or do I have some kind of agenda outside of that, some kind of personal agenda beyond simply loving God and being loved by God? Because the answer to that question is going to say a lot about who we are. This is a lot about us. And, and I want to I make sure that I, I uh, am clear on this. I'm not saying we shouldn't do all these things. I know I've kind of already said that, but it's not to say that we shouldn't att- attend church publicly. It's not to say that we shouldn't speak of the gospel publicly, but that we need to keep our spiritual disciplines generally private because we run the risk of becoming braggadocious in them. And when our motivation becomes pride rather than Christ, that's exactly the way of our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's what got them in trouble in the garden. Their motivation became their pride. The enemy planted this bug into their ears saying, hey, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like God. You know what's so crazy? is they were already just like God because they were living in humility and they were living in dependence upon the Father. And in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's no rivalry. There's no sense of pride or needing to be noticed. I mean, Christ went to the cross. He humbly submitted to the Father. And the Spirit, let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit, He wasn't mad when people gave Jesus credit for the miracles that the Spirit performed through Christ. And the Spirit is not upset when you and I get credit when God performs miracles and does amazing things through us because He's humble. He doesn't need to be noticed. He's confident in who He is and He, and he doesn't need outside recognition. And Adam and Eve had that before they followed the enemy. And can I tell you that God wants that kind of confidence for you and I as well. And that's what it is to be in Christ, is we are gaining a new identity. I don't have to be noticed by people. I don't have to prove myself to other people because I'm already proved through Christ. So I can fast quietly. I don't need someone to notice. I don't need someone else to know that I'm fasting. Because I don't need credit. I have all the credit I need because of what Christ has done for me. I just want to get closer to Him. It's about worship. So it's private. Fasting privately makes us like Jesus. 
I, I love, this is, this is something I, I've been thinking a lot about lately. Because I've been reading through the Gospels. I, um, I have a habit, I, I just love reading the Bible. So I, I will read through the Bible as many times as I can in a year. I love it. Um, and one thing that I, I, the last time I was reading through, the Lord had me focused on how Jesus always deflected credit for things. Right? I mean, so, so um, Christ rarely wanted to be noticed when he did something great for God. When he healed somebody, he would say something like, hey, don't tell anybody that I did this. Go to the priests and, and, and give, give the sacrifice that the law requires and give glory to God. I love that. Here's the Son of God in the flesh healing somebody and saying, hey, I don't want glory for that. Give glory to my Father. Jesus, no. did Jesus deserve glory? Does he deserve glory? Yes, and he deflected it. He, there would be nothing wrong with those people falling on their knees and worshiping him, and he said, I want you to give that to my Father instead. Humility. Rejecting any sense of pride in himself, but always deflecting that to the Father. That's a characteristic of who God is. He silenced demons who spoke of him publicly. They knew who he was. You know, I always wonder, you know, does, do, do they sound like they do in the movies? I don't know. But like, you know, Jesus, we know who you are. And he's like, be quiet and go get in those pigs, you know. Uh, And we realize it's not because he wanted his message to remain private, but because he wanted the glory of the Father to be front and center in his ministry. He was showing us what true humility looks like and what true life looks like. True life. I don't have to reach out and grab for it. I wait for the Father to elevate me. Jesus waited for the Father to glorify him. If the only one, the only man who ever lived who actually carried glory worth mentioning waited for the Father to glorify him, how much more, you and I, should we wait for the Father to glorify us? Jesus knew he did not need to prove himself. He knew the Father would would do that for him. The Father would prove him. And it's a wonderful example for us. It's an important example for us. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by some, someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin, to, you will, uh, begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the kingdom of God is a wacky place to a bunch of people living in this world. We don't understand. But Jesus says the last will be first. In other words, it's not the guy who props himself up who is great in the kingdom of God. It's the one 
who is humble and lowly and who serves others. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was praying and preparing for today, I was, you know, I'm thinking, man, it's Father's Day. In fact, there was something, I'll just let you into my world a little bit. Something frustrated me this morning. Um, something, it, just, it was just, just kind of eating away at me. Just not bad, just a little thing. And, and I remember I was getting the milk out of the refrigerator and I was kind of feeling grumpy about it. And, and the Lord spoke to me. I know it was the Lord because the Lord, the Lord is, always, is, is often corrective, you know. And I'm not very corrective of myself. So I usually know it's the Holy Spirit correcting me and not me correcting me. Um, but I, I, just, I just heard the Lord say, you know, you're never more like your Father in heaven than when you have a servant's heart. You know? So here I am, I was kind of grumpy, and I was like, you know what? You're right, Lord. The way I honor Father's Day is not by making this day about me, but by serving really well and having a good attitude about it. <laughs> Man, because that's what it's about. It's about him. It's about the Father. So, like, the Lord corrected my attitude. I had to leave the house feeling different, you know. Um, but, but it's, you know, we, we are so tempted to grab a place for ourselves, aren't we? Like, that's a cultural thing. We're Americans. Let's just admit it. We're very prideful people. We're so tempted to grab a place for ourselves just to make it happen. And here Jesus is saying, hey, he's not telling us to be lazy and just sit around, right? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, hey, you know, take the low place at the table. And if the Father calls you up, man, that's going to be so much better than if he has to say, hey, you know what? You're going to have to take go a couple seats down. In other words, let the Father be the one to call you up, not yourself or your followers on social media or whatever. Let it be the Father who calls you up. If you want to be like Christ, do not practice your religion in order for people to notice you, but before God alone, because you love him. And if he wants to elevate you, he will. And, and he's good, and he knows what's best for you. So if he elevates you, he's going to elevate you in such a way that it won't crush your heart underneath the weight of pride. Here's the fourth thing. Christian fasting is beneficial. And I just, I have three things. I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but just three things I want to mention. One is it helps us to defeat our sinful tendencies. Now listen to what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Someone needs to tell that to Facebook. Uh, I'm not, not, not necessarily the company. I'm just saying people on there. <laughs> I mean, am I right? I mean, some of us are on there. We know. Um, there's some stuff getting shared that I'm, sometimes I'm just like, do we even critically think in this country anymore? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Fasting and other, all the spiritual disciplines, really, are about training ourselves for godliness. And there is value in that. Now, let me tell you, there's some value in going to the gym and working out and getting chiseled. Uh, I probably could do it more often. Most of us probably could, you know. But, but what Paul is saying is, hey, you know what? That stuff's cool and, 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 and that's, that's fine. But you know what's of the greatest and most eternal value for you is growing in your relationship with the Father. Fasting is really good for us because 
it literally puts daggers into our sin nature, right? I think I said this last week, but I'll say it again. But when we fast, we are learning to say no to our impulses. One of the reasons why a lot of Christians, why many Christians struggle to get over their sin is because we feel like if we have an impulse, we just have to go. We have to go after it. I just have to. My my body's telling me I have to. I just got to go. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. And here's how you learn. You, when, when you're fasting and you're saying no to your hunger craving, then you can say no to that temptation to lie or, or, or the temptation to lust or, or whatever the temptation is. Fill in the blank. What's your pet sin? Fill it in. You don't have to do those things anymore. You're a Christian. The Bible says, in fact, we'll just quote the exact scripture, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Now, can I tell you, I don't believe the Holy Spirit minces his words. I don't believe the Holy Spirit makes accidents or says things that he doesn't mean. When the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone away, the new has come. He means it. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Now, you may look at yourself and say, man, I don't really, I don't really look like it. I'm still really struggling with my old sin patterns and, I, and, and my attitudes and, and, and I'm angry and I'm full of bitterness and hostility. And, and can I tell you that if you're a Christian, that's not who you are anymore. You may still struggle with those things, but they don't define you anymore. You're defined as righteous in Christ if you're a Christian. Because the blood of Jesus has already washed away all of your sins. Christ died on the cross. He died for all sins, past, present, and future. It's done. When he said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. And he meant it for you and for me in him. So how do we overcome well, here's how. We, we know we still have this sin nature that's like nagging at us. And we also know we have this new nature in Christ. And every Christian, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You may not always live full of the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you, you have the Holy Spirit. And now it's our job, empowered by Christ through his work, knowing we have a new reality, to practice living in that new reality. Right? Like, if I want to become a bodybuilder, I don't just sit home and eat potato chips. Even though that is delicious. If I want to be a bodybuilder, I go to the gym and I get a personal trainer and, and, I, and I work out and I learn to hone my diet in such a way that I build the most muscle mass possible and I go and become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what I do, okay? But, now, you know, so you... you What's your goal? What are you looking towards? Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? I'm I'm not asking you to answer this out loud. I'm asking you to answer this to yourself. Do you want to be like Jesus? If you want to be like Jesus, can I encourage you with this? Maybe you need to put some discipline in your life so you can learn how to say no to the impulses. How to say, you know, look, I've known some fitness freak friends, and I admire them. Like, I admire their ability to say no to an ice cream cone at Brahms. 
I don't have that kind of, uh, you know, that, that kind of self-control. I love ice cream. Sorry. I just do. But somebody who wants to, to mold their body, they understand what they have to do. And I want to say the same thing. Christian, if you want to be like Jesus, you already know what you have to do. Fasting helps us learn to say no to our natural impulses and yes to Christ. It's about re- practicing repentance. It also, fasting also puts our eyes onto Christ and takes our eyes off of ourselves. Because again, it's a natural impulse to want to grab food and eat it. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to want to eat food. We were designed to put nutrients into ourselves. And, and last time I checked, there's going to be food in heaven. There's a marriage supper. <laughs> you know? Like it's probably going to be way better than the buffet at the Golden Corral. I'm just saying. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. But when we momentarily deny ourselves something like food, we are reminded of what Jesus said when he quoted to the enemy that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're practicing that reality. I am not alive and living and breathing today simply because I eat a piece of chicken. I'm alive and breathing today because the Father has spoken this day into existence. He's spoken life into me, breathed life into me. So I want to deny self and practice turning towards him. That is repentance in a nutshell. Turning from self and towards God. And it's a daily thing. I, I will say this hundreds of more times, I'm sure. Probably to this same group. I will say this hundreds of more times. Repentance is a daily practice. It's not a one-time thing for the Christian. And the third thing it does, the third thing suffering does, or fasting does, is it teaches us to suffer well. It prepares us to suffer well. Now, we don't know what the future brings for this world, but history tells us that there's a pretty good chance that Christians, you will experience some kind of persecution and suffering in your life. In fact, Paul even says, Paul goes as far as to say that, that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And I'm always like, thank you, Brother Paul, for that encouragement. You know what I mean? But, but it's true. We have to be prepared for persecution and suffering. And, and it prepares us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, he says, hey, you're blessed when you suffer for doing good. In fact, just a little bit ago in Matthew, we, we, we saw Jesus say, hey, you know, uh, blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness sake, when you're persecuted. Because he says people don't like, Jesus says people didn't like me either, you know. And if, if they don't like you, they, then you're probably like me. But fasting teaches us. So if, if I can suffer, it's a momentary suffering, and it, it's, it's kind of weak when you think about it because you could always break and just go get some chicken nuggets. But, but, but fasting teaches us, I'm okay. Okay, my stomach's grumbling a little bit, but I'm okay because I'm relying on the Lord, and, and that's fine. I'm okay. I'm, I'm at rest in Him. So it prepares us to suffer well. So uh, I'm going to take us back to last week. I, I gave three action points last week, three things for us to do. I'm going to reiterate them this week. I'm not going to give us anything new because I, this was really just part two of last week. But, um, but, but I want to remind us of what we said last week. 
the first thing I encourage us to do is to check the motivation behind our religion. So for each of us, check the motivation behind your religion. Is Christ what is motivating you to come, wake up and come to church today? I, I congratulated you all last week, and I do it again. I, I said, look, it, it's a big deal. It's really important that you made this spiritual discipline a part of your life. Gathering with the church is a spiritual discipline, and it's important. How else are we going to bless one another and use our spiritual gifts and encourage one another mutually and honor the Lord together and be on mission together unless we're together? The word church literally means an assembly. So if we're not assembled, what are we doing? It's important. But, but we want to ask the question, what's the motivation behind all these religious things we do? The second thing I encourage us to do is to plan a fast for God's glory. It doesn't have to be this week. It, it doesn't have to be next week. I would just say, make a plan. It could be maybe the third, you know, Saturday, or the third Friday of next month, you're going to fast. You could spend the whole month getting yourself all psyched up for it, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and, and some, you know, sometimes we need that. If you're not in the habit of fasting, it may seem like a really big thing. And by the way, I realize some of us are diabetic or have some kind of, a, of, of, of an issue where we can't fast from all food um, for health reasons. And that's okay. You know, you can find something to fast from. Um, it could be anything. You know, just pick something that you normally have in your life and say, hey, I'm not going to do that today. You know, maybe you don't watch TV or Netflix for a whole day or something. I don't know. Um, find something to fast. And, and then when we fast, I, I would just encourage us to do so with the great joy that we have in Christ, keeping him at front and center. Do it with a worshipful heart. And let's practice this together. Is that something we can do? Is that something we can do, church? It's okay to respond, you know. Uh, we can practice that together. We can grow together. That's what church family is about. It's, it's, it's about growing together towards Christ-likeness, okay? So um, I said this last week. I want to say it again, but I am convinced that a Christian who is content to fast with anonymity for the worship of God alone is well-primed to be a diffuser of God's grace into our broken world. And that's what this sermon series is called, Diffusers of Grace, we want to diffuse his presence, his grace, his mercy, who he is through us into a broken world that desperately needs him. So we're going to pray together. And uh, I do want to encourage you this morning. Um, you know, we, we do have a couple of deacons present. Um, there's my dad's back there. He's a deacon. Steve, if you haven't met him, you want to wave. No, that's Steve. He's a deacon. Uh, Dennis over here is one of our deacons. And, we, and Gloria over here is a deaconess in our church. Would you wave at everyone, Gloria? Um, if you need prayer, I would encourage you to find a deacon or find an elder. Richard back there or myself. Um, we're, the, we're, we're elders. Dwight is on, you know, he's on vacation. Uh, and we're not jealous. We just, we're, we're grateful that <laughs> he gets that time. But I would encourage you to find one of, one of us. And we would love to pray for you today. Maybe there's something in you you just feel hey, I just really need the Lord to give me a breakthrough in this area. Um, maybe you need to repent and believe the gospel for the first time. You, you've not become a Christian, but God is calling you today. We would encourage you to engage the Lord however. And maybe you have some kind of spiritual or some kind of physical ailment. We, we like to pray for the sick here. So and we would love to pray for you and just maybe God will heal you. We believe that he will heal many people. So um, so let's pray together and uh, and we'll have our closing time, but I, I will encourage you to find someone to pray for you uh, today. Lord, we thank you for what you've spoken to us, what you've implanted into us through this word. We pray that you would help us to honor Christ in all that we do. 
and to become the people you've created us to be and to fast and do all the religious things that we do with the right heart, one that honors you and glorifies you. And, uh, and Father, when people look at us, I pray that they would not see us in our own righteousness or whatever that might be, but that they would see the goodness of Jesus living through us. I pray all this in his precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.